Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Hello from Burbank, California. Thank you for joining us. Another episode of Write That Down on Fight Game Media Network. I'm Justin Nipper, for FightGameMedia.com, staff writer, WrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, Cyberfight Incorporated. Yes, we're back with the one and only Mr. Fumisaito. New episode this week. What we got going on for you this week, we're talking about the illustrious inspirational, intriguing, controversial career of Paul Heyman, Pauly Dangerously. Very interesting figure, very important figure. Some love him, some hate him. Wrestling would be very, very different without him, though, regardless of what you think of him. It's just the way it is. And on this show, what we're talking about, we're talking about mostly his time in ECW. Yeah. We talk about his early career, hanging out at Studio 54, getting body slammed by Scott Hall, working with the original Midnight Express, Memphis, Eddie Gilbert, Missy Hyatt. We talk about the dangerous alliance in WCW. But we spend a lot of time talking about ECW, which this year marks 30 years since its original inception. And I can tell you that, at least indirectly, I probably wouldn't be doing this without ECW. And I think a lot of people that were around during that time caught that bug and and have that spirit. 
not a good or bad thing, it's just a definite thing that happened during the mid to late 90s. And Fumi's insight is unique because he was there for a lot of the big times, a lot of big shows. So let's hop into it. But before that, you know what's next. Write that down, Housekeeping. That's right. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Viking Media Network podcast feed. It's on Spotify and Apple and Downcast. Wherever you are usually listening to your podcast, we're on that. Please hit the subscribe button. It helps us out very much. And that is enough out of me. Let's just hop right in because this is a really cool episode. Paul Heyman and ECW. Let's jump right in. Today we're going to talk about Paul Heyman. Mr. Paul Heyman. And also, we, we got to talk about ECW, the, the real ECW, not the WWE version of ECW, but the, what Extreme Championship Wrestling was in the 90s and what of it course. meant. Yeah, and their place in wrestling. And today's fans, or maybe we'll see, our, our listeners out there for our podcast, probably the audience is a little older than uh, your WWE universe, right? Mm-hmm. So they know a lot about it, but it kind of hit me, you know, just that uh, it's been, it's 2023 now, right? right? So it's actually been 30 years, 30 years since Paul Heyman took over the company. That's pretty wild. Ooh, 30 yeah, years. 30 years. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, you know, the 1993, it was Eastern Championship Wrestling in Philadelphia, and the, the booker producer was Eddie Gilbert, and, and something late Eddie Gilbert. That something happened, and then uh, he Paul Heyman was called in and said, "You want to come over and run the card?" And that was, you know, he was uh, for the first time he was allowed to be very very creative. See, Paul Heyman goes back actually longer than that you know that uh, he was involved in in wrestling when he was like 14 15 years old did you know that wow yeah so, oh I mean, from the uh, from the magazines from the photo yes photographer. now it's uh today's you know the the, the uh equivalent would be your wrestling website or somebody doing your own podcast or you know something it would like have that, right? to be right yeah Back then, it was a fanzine that you do your own bulletin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, create your own magazine. For the and, local uh, territory or for the, the, the regions around where you live, you can cover that because the shipping and handling isn't that expensive. Or you can go and national. You run, you know, the, the, you run the photocopy, Xerox we used to Xerox, call yep. yep. <laughs> Xerox, yep. Xerox machine. And you create your own magazine. Actually, the photos were cut out from like a Bill After magazine and uh, you paste <laughs> it. But still, you create your own story. And the match result from around the territory. And, and uh, he actually was a photographer. And uh, he was a kind of wrestling, you know, Paul Heyman was a kind of wrestling fan, who, you know, the, the, the night, uh, not the, they have once a, once a month Madison Square Garden, right? Mm. And after the Madison Square Garden, once a month, big spectacular show, he was a kind of fan, goes to Marriott Hotel and wait for wrestlers. Mm-hmm. 
you know, get autograph or get picture taken or just start talking to wrestlers and all. Sure. And uh, yeah, just like a lot of the later on wrestler or magazine editors would do, you know. Yeah, because I used to, you know, go to a hotel and then, you know, wait for Terry Funk. <laughs> yeah. When I was a little kid, not a little kid, but like like 10th grade. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. So Paul Hemming was like that. And also, he was also, when he was 19, he was at the staff, like a semi-producer at the famous nightclub called Studio 54. Disco. You of know? course, the legendary, infamous Studio 54. Yeah, Studio 54. Yeah, that they made movie out of that, you know? That's right, yeah. Yeah. So he was actually there, like a, such a city, you know, the Manhattan, you know, New York, New York City guy, you know. Yeah, for for context, if you're not familiar with Studio 54, it was a big, it was a famous disco club in the late 70s, early 80s, and at one point, it's it was the ultimate hot spot for celebrities, athletes, politicians. Everybody was there. So if Paul Heyman was also there. He was rubbing shoulders with a lot of important people, I'm sure. Right. And also, you know, younger people, like a very, um, you know, um, what would be the word? That, uh, you know, uh, younger models or the actor wannabe. Yeah, or, young, young you know, trendsetter. Somebody who wanna be d- discovered there. Yeah, yeah. The, all, all of the people that you know want to be that make it in New York City, you got to be seen at this Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, so it was interesting. So he was there and he worked there, and also there's a famous photo, you know, Paul Heyman with lots of hair, right? Of course, he was like eighteen, nineteen. The photo taken was Lou Albano and Freddie Blassie and Grand Wizard of Wrestling. You know, later I mean, legend managers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And also, he was friend with Bam Bam Bigelow before neither of them were in the business. Hmm. I mean, it goes back like 85, 86. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, he um, he wanted to start somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, oh, New York Independent, of course. And there was a time back in 1987, Paul Heyman came down to Tampa, Florida to be trained. I mean, wanted to be a manager, but there's nobody trained manager then that you go to practice just like wrestler. And also the ones who didn't make it as a wrestler, you could almost be manager, right? Like right. heel manager. But the nobody wanted to be manager to start with. But the people like uh, the hero Matsuda put him in the ring, actually. Did you mm-hmm. know that? That the first day at practice, young Scott Hall gave young Paul Heyman power slam on that camp, camp in you know, ring canvas. <laughs> and they thought they killed him. <laughs> power, power slamming, you know, 180 pound, you know, 18, 19 year old Paul Heyman. Young Scott Hall did it, you know, power slam, boom, on the mat. So they, they wanted him to quit that day, right? But he mm. came back. Much like you know, f- you know, five six years earlier, they wanted Hulk Hogan to quit, right? So Hiro mm-hmm. Mats- Matsuda stretched him, but he came back the next day, so he they decided to train him. So the temp- so he traveled all the way from New York to Tampa to be, uh, I mean, of course being involved, but uh, just to, you know, put, you know, put, a, put your foot in the door, and it was the right thing, yeah. And also, when Bigger went to Tennessee, he was there too. 
Then he met with Jerry Lawler and original Midnight Express, like Dennis Condry and Randy Rose. Not the Bobby Eaton uh, and Stan Lane or Dennis Condry, but the, the original Midnight Express was Dennis Condry and Randy Rose then. Yeah. And also um, met with Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then and then he uh, finally found his way to uh, to NWA Crockett promotion. Yeah, before it was in WCW, and they they even had this original Midnight Express against New Midnight Express program. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and what was interesting was that uh, when he went to Dallas, Tennessee, and Dallas, Paul Heyman met me, Mark. Mark Callis at the time, who would be The Undertaker a decade later. Not a decade, mm. but, the, you know, like five, six years later. So they met, that the Paul Heyman met all these people before they were, like, superstars. Interesting, huh? It's interesting how it all circled back to their beginnings, you know? Yeah, so he had AWA run, too. You know, AWA, you know, in, like, a last leg. Not the Minneapolis AWA anymore, but they were running Las Vegas Showboat, you know, the ESPN that uh, they were just doing TV. And it was like, probably today's audience don't know the word, that the syndication TV thing. Right, right. Yeah. And actually, Paul Heyman had his cell phone, like mobile phone thing, before people, anybody had cell phone. You know, remember that the cell phone or that the mobile phone used to be as big as your walkie-talkie? Oh, bigger. It was <laughs> like a, uh, it was kind of like a gray block. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then a shoulder bag, too, you know, to carry your battery or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or amplifier or something. And what he, it's, I think yeah. what it signified was, especially back then, no one had a cellular phone like that. So it was mm-hmm. a, a nice way to set them apart from... Yeah, and then uh, that was his uh, New York yuppie image. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. For a New Yorker. And he, used, of course, used that cellular phone for foreign object. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, so they met those people. And also by 1990, he was signed with WCW, early WCW, you know, like younger recruit, Steve Austin, before he was stunning Steve Austin. Um, um, Medusa, of course, uh, Arn Anderson, that uh, the, the very first incarnation of Dangerous Alliance when Paul Heyman was Paul E. Dangerously. Yeah, that's right. What a name. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> then, as a bounce, I mean, he, the, the WCW management didn't really. You know, like people like Jim Words and, you know, like people from WC and that uh, more about the, the Ted Turner TV producer type that, that they didn't really respect wrestling managers, right? That's right. The same, yeah, the same problem Jim Cornette had to face then he left. And the Paul Hammond they didn't really recognize his real talent there. I mean, what what's so good about wrestling manager, right? That they just didn't take wrestling manager too seriously. It was about the wrestlers and TV producers. But the Paul came up with a lot of lot of ideas then. Yeah. Then, but the broken heart, I guess he was let go and then he came back to East Coast again. 
and September of 93, ECW, e- then Eastern Championship Wrestling with Todd Gordon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically asked him to run the show, you know, after they had a falling out with Eddie Gilbert. That's when he brought his Dirty Dozen. <laughs> dirty you Dozen. Know? Yeah, yeah. Paul was a whole bunch of East, you know, East Coast independent guys that nobody knew about. But the one by one, Paul started giving them character and gimmick and and, and, and storyline and the, the, the pretty soon that the, the, they didn't become extreme championship wrestling until the following year. <clears throat> but the '93 and '90, you know, beginning of '94, Paul Heyman really start making things like like start creating things. See. When you talk about Dudley Brothers, you would think, you know, it's a Baba and Devon, right? But the original Dudley was Dudley Dudley. Dudley Dudley, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And the like, five other Dudleys were there, you know. And, uh, oh, of course, Dances a little bit there, with Dudley. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, a Big Dick Dudley. And of course. Spike Dudley. And a little bit later on, yeah. A little bit later on, that's right. Um uh, sign, sign guy Dudley. Nine one one. Nine one one was he was in the circle. Sure, sure. Yeah, and also that the uh, Raven showed up, uh, dress up just like Raven. You see, Scotty, you know, he was a uh, Scotty the Body, Scott, Scotty Flamigo, you know, with WWF, he was uh, Johnny Polo and falling up. He was just like Paul that the, he wanted to be creative and uh, he already created the character Raven before he showed up at this bingo hall, you know, before it was the ECW arena, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, Sandman, so the, the, before Sandman had this drunken, you know, that the uh, Zubas pants t-shirt with candlestick, he had the, that the, the, the wetsuit, like a surfer. Yeah, Sandman, like he's a guy from the beach. Yeah, yeah. But the Sandman, they thought it was, you know, that the Sandman, before you fall, you know, fall in, in the watch dreams, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So they they sat down and really thought about a lot of characters. Taz wasn't like that. He was a Tasmaniac monster, mm-hmm. with, you know, dreaded hair. But the, no, he has amateur wrestling background and he can be just like the, the hardcore Steiner style. Then uh, pretty soon he was Taz. And Tommy Dreamer was helping out. The 24-year-old Tommy Dreamer was just doing everything. You know, of course, he wrestles, but uh, he started helping producing. Um, they were producing ECW TV show at Paul Heyman's parents' house basement for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's in, in the movie Beyond the Mat, if you remember. Saw it in the theater. Yeah, okay. They were doing, you know, they were doing a voiceover and Paul Heyman's mother, you know, ironing a, you know, <laughs> laundry you know, in the background. Yeah, while well, they were shooting the regular TV, uh, you know, intros and uh, uh, other segments behind the ECW banner that was hanging in the basement. Sure, and they're doing uh, the promo right there. Mm-hmm. Much like, you know, Back then, there was a movie like Wayne's World, if you remember. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, yeah, they were like that, and uh, <laughs> they're yeah, they're printing up the posters and going to local general stores and drug stores, and you know, like uh, to ask them if they want to, if they could put up the poster for the local shows, 
And they're like, they work like a commune. And they ate together and stayed together, watched wrestling video all night long. They talked about wrestling and what they can do. And every three weeks, they started running that the bingo hall show. And, and pretty soon, that was ECW Arena. And that uh, Paul was watching Japanese tapes a lot, you know, that, that the FMW fan, Onita fan. And that the one he wanted was Sabu. You know, he's at the, until then, until 93, Sabu didn't really work the big, big territory or big company in the States, but he had, you know, regular position, regular gig. Like he, you know, Sabu was in Japan like five, six, seven towards the, towards the year, basically working full time for Onita's FMW. And uh, so, so basically Paul Hammond wanted to bring Sabu in like new discovery, like, like second coming, you know? And uh, another guy, Shane Douglas, was like a, a you know big league reject. He was a dynamic dude with WCW, and he was basically let go. But he was another one who had a very creative mind. And uh, pretty soon, these pieces and you know important pieces of puzzle and it's coming together. And uh, yeah, I was there, and uh, that's when I met Paul, and uh, just. It was like a very, very, like almost like overwhelming to be sitting in a dressing room, how enthusiastic and uh, everybody worked so hard and everybody had a lot to say about a lot of things and they always had something they want to do. Um, I mean, physical wise, but the creative, you know, that storyline wise. And uh, it was a bunch of guys that were like, wanted to make it. You know, not well, probably not. You know, a lot of guys wanted to go to Major League or wrestling at the time, WCW or WWF, right? But uh, most of the guys wanted to be there because they want to be part of that, right? Not to be cliche, but it was really revolutionizing it. And come, come to think of it, this is Monday Night War time, remember? Mm-hmm. It was WWF, then, then WWF, Monday Night Raw, and WCW Monday Nitro, and that's what everybody was watching, you know. And 95 on, 96, even before NWO, that uh, Monday night became the night that everybody sat at home and watched wrestling, huh? It was definitely, you look forward to Monday, right? Yeah, yeah. And also, you could you could sense that, and you could almost feel that, that the wrestling boom is coming back. See, the initial boom period, oh, there were a lot of, you know, boom period over, over the years in, in 20th century, but the 94 WrestleMania era, and the, they were calling WWE and, and Vince McMahon wrestling renaissance and all these things, right? And then in the mid to late 90s, you had this Monday Night War thing. There's like, you wouldn't think any smaller company will have, see, bigger company will get bigger, right? But you didn't think that the bigger company, I mean, smaller companies like a starting up independent company like ECW will, will have a chance. But those, see, those are the days that the AWA went out of business, big AWA, Vern Gagne's AWA, you know, went out of business that uh, Tennessee, Jerry Lawler's Tennessee and Dallas combined, you know, they became one company, Tennessee and Memphis. Then pretty soon they went out of business, right? And uh, 
all these territory really died out and uh, it was really the too big, you know, too big major company era, WWE and WCW. But the Paul really believed in what they can do in that. You know, of, of course, started out pretty niche. And the theme was niche too, you know, because first it was hardcore revolution, right? Mm-hmm. And also until then almost forgotten legend but they revived the living legend of professional wrestling they brought in 53 year old terry funk to be their like moral leader you know mm-hmm. and the guru yeah that was and then you could you know you could tell that the, by watching that the movie beyond the map huh mm-hmm. very much so that was yeah 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 and it was like a we've almost like revival you know, basically Terry Funk's final huge run in America. Well, actually, he went, you know, he joined WCW a little bit and even went to WWE, WWF as, as a Chainsaw Charlie a little bit later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a Terry, living legend, Texas Bronco, that uh, your icon, Terry Funk, had his like very final big huge run, like believable run was ECW and uh, Paul Heyman really asked Terry Funk to be part of that thing, you know, and uh, you needed a moral leader, you know, not just a bunch of, you know, new guys in independent, this early ECW really needed Terry Funk. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. And then right before that, actually Terry Funk and Sabu had programmed worked against each other in all these no-name independent company around the, around states. Wherever they went, it was Terry Funk against Sabu, uh, just like a one-man main event kind of thing. And uh, they brought the, the package together, and uh, both Terry Funk and Sabu were there. Yeah. And uh, it was like a pretty soon. I believed in it. And like I said, ter- uh, the, the Paul Heyman was watching a lot of Japanese video, right? Mm-hmm. That's he was watching New Japan tapes. They brought in Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko when none of the company wanted him. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He was a junior heavyweight guy, you know. And Benoit was Wild Pegasus with New Japan, and Eddie Guerrero was in the costume Black Tiger, and Dean Malenko was Dean Malenko. And they had just best matches on tape. And let's bring them to Philadelphia as they are. And of course, two called Scorpio. Yeah. It's like the people he watched uh, on Japanese video was brought, brought in between their Japanese tours. And also, uh, younger Ray Mysterio and Psychosis, Psychosis, before mm-hmm. big company wanted them have them do what they can do like your lucha libre style that they're so innovative and also they're relatively smaller guys right not relatively but very smaller guys and up until then in in, in mexican luchador in american turf you got to be male maskers heavyweight mexicans right oh yeah it yeah. was very uncommon at the time in america yeah yeah 170 pound guys 165 pound guys yeah and yeah, but uh, if you bring package together, not just Rey Mysterio, but his opponent, Psychosis, with them, you know, and uh, 
if you remember, um, okay, we're, we're gonna fast forward this a little bit. Then they start bringing this really like this very loyal. They were calling, you know, some people are calling it cult audience, but the people were driving in from different states just to get to, you know, every th in third week ECW arena match. The place only holds what, what the 1300, 1400 mm. max. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, people are driving in from different states, you know, and uh, just so they want to be part of that thing. And uh, every time, uh, they had ECW Arena show. Oh, pretty soon they start calling it ECW Arena. They brought in new guys. See, if you remember, Rob Van Dam, he was, I mean, the, the ECW was the first place that they, you know, they gave Rob Van Dam any chance. Mm -hmm. Oh, for that matter, um, <clears throat> I remember this phone conversation with Paul that, uh, like in 94, early 94, it's like, do you know Chris Jericho? Of course I know Chris Jericho. Yeah, it's like, he hasn't been exposed in American audience yet. Mm. It's all over Japanese tapes. You know what I'm saying? Right. That he worked 10 rules WAR full time and also had a run, you know, that the program is New Japan and you can really see the early Chris Jericho in Japanese tapes. We've got to remember, this is like a VHS era that decade before the internet right mm -hmm. but the tape trading between these hardcore fans were a, there was a thing and uh have you seen all japan women's tape have you seen new japan descent and have you seen, have you seen uwf tape and all these things that the, the tapes that come from japan and american wrestlers well, well canadian for, for that matter but the, he wanted to have chris jericho you know, come over to philadelphia Mm. Yeah, the only place Chris worked was like uh, in America until then was Smoky Mountain, Jim Cornette's mm -hmm. very similar group, short run though, Sh short lived. But uh, yes, uh, Chris Jericho and Lance Storm as sudden death, I mean sudden impact. Uh, he drove over to Kentucky, you know, area, and then they worked Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain a little bit, but. Uh, it, that company didn't last. Then uh, the, the, the talented one went to Japan. And then they, Paul, one by one, started discover, discovering these exceptionally talented, charismatic one that the big two company hasn't discovered yet. And Chris Jericho wasn't on his way to ECW. And pretty soon, though, when you be, be, become like a hit with you know ECW audience at the ECW arena. WCW want them, you know, they took Rey Mysterio, that they took Chris Jericho, they took Raven, Sam, and, you know, all these guys that was just like, just making, you know, their names with, with ECW, they got signed away. Oh, of course, before, before Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio, Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, they all went to WCW. Mm. And the mentality, you know, the mindset, back then was that you need to go to WCW first, then go to WWF, then you'll be even bigger. Mm. Does that make sense? That's the thinking, huh? Yeah, that was a pattern. Yeah, because if we went to, you know, w, from ECW to WWF, you'd be pretty much the opening match guy. 
NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That was also kind of uh, what ECW was about in that it was a place for wrestlers that at the time couldn't get on television. They could get a lot more time and uh, bigger chances at ECW. But you have to be actually good, be good. Well, of course, of course. But this is this applies to, you know, more of the uh, people that didn't get a fair shake. Yeah. Then also, see, during Monday Night War, WWE, WWF, and WCW, total enemies, right? But actually, even during that time period, Paul Heyman and, and, and people within WWF were friendly. Yeah, they were able to, they were able to talk. And before mm-hmm. this, you know, uh, barely legal, uh, very first ECW's their own pay-per-view, they went to Monday Night War, I mean, Monday Night Raw, and they made special appearance. Oh, yeah, a couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, some people are iffy, and also people like, even even people like Jim Ross said, wow, they're from a Philadelphia local franchise. Uh, right, get the 50 right. minutes of fame. They had to say <laughs> that way. But, right, uh, right. Uh, they were, but they let them be on their national programming. And uh, so they were basically friendly. And that uh, they WWE even liked the fact that uh, they created Blue World Order, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. BWO when WCW was running the NWO seriously, and there's a little bit of a parody of that. And uh, they respected Paul's creativity. Yeah, it was an alternative product. It was very different from WCW and WWF were different as well, but it was. It felt like here's the mainstream big leagues and ECW is like the uh, alternative grunge band of the time. Yeah, you had a lot of alternative bands like Offspring, the Pearl Jam, the <laughs> yeah, Nirvana, of course, you know, and the music was just like a rock and roll theme almost. Yeah, it felt like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's okay to be a little bit of like uh, see, the, 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 the production wasn't as you can't be. The production was wasn't as good as WWF. Of course not, you know, because they are producing their own TV show, you know. But they're like they can produce such good music out of your garage kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was unique. Yeah, I really, really believed it. And the Japanese company, like IWA Japan and um, 
FMW, of course, they stop, you know, working, you know, more and more and working together with ECW. And uh, Paul and his crew brought, you know, the, the group of ECW superstars into FMW tour. And they taped matches in Japan and they made it look like ECW had, had Japan tour. Right. Actually, it was it was FMW show though, but uh, yeah, because I remember because I uh, I did the opening of the show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. Those, it was like, I that, remember seeing those on television, and they made it feel like a big, big, big deal on ECW TV in America. Ah, uh, yeah, because it, it really wasn't ECW tour of Japan, though. They worked FMW tours with a whole bunch of WWE, I mean, F, uh, ECW guys. But uh, Paul was so smart that they brought all kinds of different footage from FMW, and they let them use that. They didn't have this explosion, Bob Dwyer match, or anything like that while they were there. But they brought the Onita tape over, and they made it look like they had that there. I remember seeing footage of um, Tommy Dreamer and Raven in IWA. Remember that? Yeah, they did that. Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, and Stevie Richards, probably? Stevie Richards is probably there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they had like a total of like a three tours, and they made it seem a lot bigger than that. And also, there was a time in, you know, it was a year after Barely Legal, so it would have been 98, that Onita was really interested in, let me actually Onita himself was really interested in what ECW, ECW was doing in America. So he wanted to bring this explosion, you know, bomb match in America. And Paul wanted to do it. But uh, there was like a regulation in, uh, you know, about fireworks and other things and licensing in states of New York. And they had to be in a certain area that you, where you can use, fi you know, firework and this license and, and, and the permission from fire department, fire marshal, all these things was way too complicated. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that didn't happen. But Onita did come over one weekend to tape it, you know, the, the promo. And uh, the match never took place was uh, Onita against Sandman, the explosion match. Mm -hmm. I, rem yeah. I remember him wearing a kind of yukata or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hakama, yeah. Hakama. Yeah. I, it was, I never had seen him wear anything like that before, so it was... <clears throat> Yeah, but th that's what Onita wanted to do. But the Paul wanted to have regular, you know, one of those silver white tank top with blue trunks and says Onita on his butt. Mm. That was a tight Paul Heyman wanted uh, from Onita, you know, like a, making a special appearance at a ECW arena. But the, they had different idea that the Onita wanted to be more Japanese or something. And so they brought, the, you know, his kimono and all these things. So there's a little bit of a miscommunication was there. But uh, they had a meeting that uh, this explosion, deathmatch, Bob Dwyer thing was going to happen in, in the stateside. But at the same time, it was ECW becoming so, you know, like much bigger than they, you know, expected, much faster, right? And it was becoming a number three company in the state side, and they signed the deal with um, Tennessee National Television, TNT. Later on, they changed changed the name, but they were all of a sudden on on this national cable channel. The Nashville Network. It was, it was oh, okay, Nashville. okay, okay, national, yeah, national. It was like a country music. 
network initially. Yeah, but it's still national cable company. Yes, yes. Yeah. So they've they've gotten much bigger too fast, huh? Yeah. It happened really quickly, huh? Only in the maybe two, three years. But all 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 together, it was like an eight year period. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, because they lasted until like two thousand one. You know, like January. You know, but the, it really became September September of ninety three, and it took them three years to get on the much important market. Then that's like to be on pay per view. Uh, was going to uh, that's the only way to survive or only way to make it as a big company and they were saying that they once you get on this regular pay-per-view market four times a year you're not going to need wwe kind of thing and they were almost going to make it yeah before the internet though right or as the internet was in its early development <clears throat> yeah but the not moving image no, no, not like streaming images, but I it it should be noted that ECW was one of the uh, early companies to embrace the internet and uh, internet related technology and media approach. Yeah, yeah, but not everybody had a laptop yet, though. You know what I'm saying? No, no, it wasn't that yeah. common. Right, right. Let alone smartphone. <laughs> you know. But it was like that, and uh, what, what what was so interesting was that uh, Paul was always playing with the idea that, uh, like one night, you know, he and I sat down, and, and he was like, he wants to create a tag team that uh, it's that uh, he kick out everything at the count of one. You know what? <laughs> this guy would kick out every move at the count of one, not even solid two count. Wow, nobody has done it, right? I mean, like something that come up with something that nobody has seen. Have you seen anybody that they got any cover, any attempt fall, the, the, the pinfall, this guy kicks out at the count of one instead of two? I've never uh, seen someone do that consistently throughout a match. As a character? No, it, it, I think it would be pretty exhausting, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, to to, to create a tough guy, though. To create a tough guy, but yeah, yeah, yeah yes, I, I've never <clears throat> seen uh, anything like that as a gimmick. And also, what Sandman, Sandman was doing at the time was that that uh, they had this this like a false count anywhere type bra all over the building and back to the ring, right? That you don't know you don't really notice in you know uh, during the match but Sandman never tried to pin the guy once never went to cover <laughs> right i never tried to win how can i lose wow there you go you know and also a wrestler with no finish I mean, always like some bra or something and then just fall on top of this guy and then happen to be able to pin this guy. But the uh, wrestler was no finish. Wow. It's a lot of different creative ideas they had. But interesting, huh, Sandman? We go back to some of the old Sandman's uh, match. Right, during the, during the match, like a course of 20, 25 minutes, he never attempted pinfall. So... Never tried to win the match. How can I lose? 
Very <laughs> interesting. Interesting philosophy, he said. But uh, there was all the candlestick and the beer cans and all these things that uh, you didn't notice any of that. But uh, when you go back to video and watch it one more time, right, Sandman never attempted pinfall. And how can I lose when you don't try to win? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of things. Raven had a lot of, you know, different ideas. And uh, there was a bunch of guys with all kinds of ideas. And also there was like a, uh, like a piece of paper on the, you know, the dressing room door. Nobody does German suplex until Rob Van Dam, kind of like that. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a finish for Rob Van Dam's match, right? Nobody should be using the same move until he gets out of, you know, and I mean, get out of the dressing room. I mean, it kills it, right? I mean, I think a lot of companies today could use that system. Yeah, because it's like you're doing a vertical suplex or ballot to ballot suplex or the superplex. If somebody's finishes the superplex off the top rope, nobody should be touching it, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see him back to back. Yeah, even there was a there was a, a piece of paper on on the wall. No breaking the table until Sabu. That's mm-hmm. right. Nobody mm-hmm. should be, you know, getting the table out of the, uh, under the ring and break the table. Because you could do it anytime, and, you know, anybody can do it, but uh, it doesn't mean anything until it means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nobody's touching the table until Sabu's match. And it's just, that's like, all right, that's, that's what they're doing today. And also, there was one time it was really interesting, if you remember, like destroying the ring and making a hall during a Taz against Bam Bam Bigelow match. I do remember that the famous one where they fall through the state or the ring. Yeah, and then the, in the big hall, right? Yes. Actually, it, they did that back in like in in early sixties. If you if you know what it is, it was actually the Haystack Calhoun against Happy Hamfrey. Both guys five hundred, you know, five hundred pound guys. The finish was that the ring collapsed, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was Bam Bam Bigelow against Taz match that the one of the suplex will you know make a big haul uh, onto the mat. It, they did that you know <clears throat> years before Undertaker and Kane. Yeah. And uh, what was interesting that that the, you are not supposed to be even standing in that corner because <laughs> it might break, right? Mm. And the Taz Bam Bam Bigelow match wouldn't come until uh, like seventh match of the evening, and until then, they were so careful not to work on that side of the mat. But they were so you know doing it so well that nobody in the audience noticed anything. Very well produced, huh? I mean, all around. You know, I mean, entire night was one show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a lot of interesting things then. Or even uh, when the uh, ring broke for real during the match, and uh, Mikey Whipwreck was actually the ring guy to fix everything usually, and even Mikey couldn't fix it. But so they, uh, what they did was that uh, asked Kamuna Wanalea to come out and dance. Ah, uh, that's fame. That's a famous, uh, it's a legendary story. Yeah, yeah. I, I was so lucky that I was there that night. That, wow. Uh, it wasn't you even the part the of the show. Dance. Yeah, because it was actually accident that uh, 
that the ring actually broke. It wasn't the greatest ring, right? And then Mikey Whipper went down, you know, under the ring and said, you know, and then giving the signs, like, it's fucked, it's fucked, right? Excuse my language, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can you fix it? No, I don't think we, you know, we can fix it tonight because we need the part, new parts. It's like, oh, wow. Then they actually, after ring broke, Sabu and Rob Van Dam went in and had their single match with the handicapped ring. And they came up with a lot of the idea with loosening up one, one, one side rope that they came up with something that nobody has seen. It's like, wow. But the Kamona Wanaleya part was really interesting. The Paul came up with the idea. It's like, we got to kill at least 45 minutes to an hour, right? It's like it's talking 10, 10.30 at night and people are not leaving. And I uh, asked Kamona Wanaleya that, uh, can you please dance? You got to save our ass and just you save the show and save everybody. And uh, please. And uh, Kamona Wanaleya didn't really want to do it. And uh, She's an actual dancer, you know. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But uh, wonderful. Dancer. She she came up with kind of dance that doesn't show anything, but it looks like it shows something. Came pretty so close. Had, yeah, but the, he had this, you know, the big bath towel on on top, mm. flip flop a little bit, but uh, never really show anything adult. Nothing <laughs> you know illegal. <clears throat> I mean, nothing that you cannot be on, you know, use on TV. Exactly. But, uh, the dance was really good, and they just saved everybody's night. And uh, the word that the name Kamonawanaleya uh, came from Raven's idea. <laughs> he came up with. Yeah, it. it 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 sounds like something he'd come up with, huh? Yeah, Kamonawanaleya. Kamonawanaleya. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah, yeah. Very so clever. it was like, a lot of things. It's just spontaneous and creative. And the energy was always there. That's what I'm talking about. That uh, not nearly as controlled and produced as, you know, WWF, you know. At the time, WCW mess. The mess meaning that you are producing Nitro for the boys, you know, to, to you know, to save their, you know, each star's ego, right? Mm. Sort of not for the purpose of, you know, creating a great TV shows. But uh, everybody had this creative idea and Paul was there to at least listen to it. And if it's good, it's good. let's try this, you know, next week. And uh, people are so, it's like, I mean, like once, you know, you're being counted on that, the, that the, their motivation goes up, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's like, a, there was a great, the dressing room was great. So when you walk into this ECW arena's dressing room, like a four o'clock in the afternoon, it's like you, you mean, you're talking about like a four, four or five hours before the show starts. Three o'clock, four o'clock, they're already there. They're cutting woods and trees, and to, to you know, they're building foreign object for the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like wow. It's like, and also, there's a spot for Terry Funk, and they sit. And one by one, you know, that the uh, wrestler come, you know, they may I sit with, you know, sit here and they start, you know, sit right next to Terry Funk and talk about 15, 20 minutes, just anything. You know, they'll always have questions that they wanted to ask Terry Funk. And Terry Funk will answer you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was like, I had a real uh, great time. And, and I, um, I really believed in them. I did. 
then pretty soon, but like I said, that the, the company has you know gotten business-wise much bigger too fast that they can handle it. And then uh, actually, they Paul wasn't good bookkeeper, I guess, you know. And uh, yeah, so it was like they just kind of start falling, you know, falling apart, you know. And uh, I guess Paul decided to let it die, you know. Oh, of course, Tajiri was there. He witnessed pretty much everything, yeah. And, and Masato Tanaka, all... if you remember, yeah. Oh, yeah, too. Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka. Yeah, yeah. So they were brought in. And pretty soon, you know, that the WCW wanted him, you know, that uh, Mike Awesome. And all these guys who gotten bigger, you know, and then had their place in WCW was Pretty soon, you know, distant, you know, like aim to be signed away by WCW. It was like they weren't feeding them, but they wanted to sign them away. But Paul said, you know, if you get a big contract with WCW, take it. You know, this is your chance. Because at the time, WCW, they were signing guys. It was like, like okay, what was the deal? So, I got a 350, I got a 400, I got a 500. Like, wow, that's a big contract, right? A lot of money going around, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three fifty I mean like three hundred fifty thousand, four hundred, four hundred thousand, five hundred. Are you making half a million with that guy? I'm like, it's like, wow. It's like you go there, you sign, you know. And half the time they didn't even work nitro. Right. Some people didn't even work the whole month. Yeah, and then uh, go go to town and get on the red eye flight on late, fr- you know, Monday night. Come right home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that would kill a company, huh? And during all this time, too, with ECW, this is when that table deal was taking place right before, when, when all the, the bookkeeping and uh, other issues started to kick in. Yeah. 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 So just to get the, the timeline right, and just to kind of, I, re- I remember when that show got canceled it felt it felt different felt ominous yeah it sounded like a like end of a short era huh kind of yeah Yeah, well they they officially closed shop in april 2001 yeah but pretty soon though paul himself was signed as a color color commentator for monday night raw sitting there with Jim Ross himself. Yeah. So his they wanted him. Not everybody from former ECW, but uh, yeah, they wanted to have Paul Heyman as your know, commentator and also part of the producer, you know, production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then it took them another four years, 2005, if you remember, uh, 2004 then, One Night Stand. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they, they brought Queens. the entire old-fashioned, original ECW back to your uh, Manhattan Center. And it was that real deal, true to ECW spirit kind of show. Yeah, and they, they let Sandman be Sandman. Mm-hmm. And d- during that, you know during that period, Rob Van Dam finally became 
WCW, I mean, uh, WWE champion beating John Cena. Short period of time, but it was like very revolutionary. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Very but exciting. when they, yeah, but the, when they returned WWE version of ECW as a third brand, it wasn't the same. Mm, it it was just in name. It was this. It was similar, but it was a different issue. It was a different story. Yeah, was, like, like yeah. people like Big Shaw or Big Show or Christian holding ECW title with different design belts and all that. Yeah. It just but like they another... did they, they did bring in younger CM Punk in that you know in the puck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that there was some good in it, but uh, it was already 15 years ago, you know. And uh, like we said at the beginning of this in episode 93 when Paul took over Eastern Championship Wrestling and following year made it ECW, but the Extreme Championship Wrestling, and also worked in conjunction with late Dennis Caruso's NWA, he created a new NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, revived the NWA World Heavyweight title, and Shane Douglas won it. And the very same night, at the end of the show, they dumped the belt and made ECW World title. Yeah. That was interesting, huh? That was a kind of famous promo after Douglas and Too Cold Scorpio had that match for the the vacant title. Yeah. And that's where that, you know, like we said, the extreme yeah, um, came up into until it. Until that night, even Paul Heyman wanted to revive this old-fashioned NWA but then we quickly realized, but that's like a borrowing authority, you know, you know, figure name that NWA is no more. That the winning NWA back is fine, but to dump it in the in the middle of the ring right after and create ECW into their new World Heavyweight Championship. That was the whole idea. He didn't come up with it until like a night before that. Hmm. Yeah, but that's when. Real hardcore ECW audience started started believing that you know like a real revolution. Yeah, it became such '90s championship instead of borrowing some something famous from '70s. Does that make sense? It was new. It was definitely contrite and unique, and it felt it felt special. It yeah, was yeah. it was a third option. Yeah, yeah, and believable option at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also shortly after ECW went down for real, that the guys who worked under Paul Heyman created ROH today. Well, not today's AEW ROH, but the original Ring of Honor at the right. same building, ECW Arena. Younger guys, yeah. And, and how re- many rest- how many today's wrestlers went through that ROH? Many, many, many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it just has this historical connection to just like all 90 to late 90s into 2000 in the ECW and the, the, almost like a sequel to ECW that the Ring of Honor was created in Philadelphia and all these younger generation, younger than the original ECW guys, but the young, you know, that... Uh, Brian Danielson, the uh, Seth Rollins before Seth Rollins was Seth Rollins, that uh, that uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Steen, that the Ke- Kevin Owens was 
you know, he was a young 19-year-old Kevin Steen. They all go, go, you know, went through ROH. And uh, it's just now it's 20 years later. But it's, I think I, you, you really see the connection there. Mm. Yeah. Then now that the today's wrestling fan, you know, look at Paul Heyman as just this. My name is Paul Heyman. <laughs> <laughs> wise man and also he's like basically like a you know focal point of this you know bloodline thing you know that roman reigns huge superstar but uh, really needs wise man paul Heyman in there though you know what i'm saying and paul Heyman has been in the picture in the main picture Brock Lesnar. yeah ever since thing after ecw you know we all continued to watch Paul Heyman on television. So he was gone for few, you know, like five, six years actually, though. Uh, you know, Heyman hustle thing, mm. and 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 when Buck Lesnar basically quit, quit WWE for real and tried U- UFC, and he the Paul Heyman wasn't on camera, was you know UFC television or anything like that, but he was actually there. Then that's when Brock Lesnar published his first book basically called published you know published with Paul Heyman's writing I sent for you know sent photos from Japan that uh, they didn't want to borrow photos from WWE but the Japanese magazine had a whole bunch of Brock Lesnar's early pictures from you know from WWE but was in Japan and uh, yeah was able to use those photos for Brock Lesnar's books then I asked Paul uh, what's what's the next are you ever going to come back to traditional pro wrestling? He said, of course we will. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the plan that the uni- Brock Lesnar needed to be UFC superstar in order to come back to WWE as an even bigger star. Oh my gosh, they really did it, you know? Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting, huh? So I guess as we've been seeing this is like all these Paul Heyman saga. I mean, to this day, there's a lot to uh, to look at. He's offered a lot, and he's I think been so. he's been a, a huge, 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 undeniable Over, part of the business. And also, what you see on TV and what you see backstage are not all that different. <laughs> mm. Really, <clears throat> he was very Paul good Heyman. at blending the reality and. Uh, uh, he probably doesn't know the difference himself. Well, even when he was booking in ECW, I, I mean, it was he, he really knew how to tone down the uh, things that weren't good in a wrestler and tune up the highlights. You know what I mean? He could really he could take talent and 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 make them as good as they could be. In in into certain character or the strength and weaknesses and yeah. Yeah, he's very good at producing those kinds of wrestlers. Yes. Yeah. So in that, he's like a wrestler producer who doesn't take bumps, which he has done. (laughs) Yeah, in between. But uh, now that today's audience don't know that side of Paul, you know, it's so much of this wise man character with today's Monday Night Raw, but that his idea has always been pretty real. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, is what I'm saying. And when they're saying like uh, even the, the, during this you know Shield era, Paul Heyman guy, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a Paul what Heyman been, guy. Yeah, what is Paul Heyman guy? It's like not on TV, but uh, the Paul Heyman guy meant guys that would be sitting with Paul Heyman backstage talking wrestling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really exist, existed. So, yeah, so I think that the, this is like still, he is still at, at his peak, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, very much, much so. older, yeah, much older, much wiser, I think. And looks older now, but uh, and he doesn't wear his you know baseball cap or has ponytail or anything like that. He wears his expensive suit and ties, but uh, basically, same guy. Uh, the, my last image I have of him is from this weekend, he was involved in that Roman Reigns and uh, uh, whoever else was involved, but. I had the image of him. He was holding both the WWE championship belts on his shoulder. So yeah. to give you an idea of how influential this man is, uh, that's a pretty <laughs> simple image to to be on top of the game even now, after all these years, more than 30 years. Yeah, and he's really like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's I really wanted to share you know, my experience with Paul Heyman this week. Very good. All right. So if, and you know, if, if people are interested in this, I really recommend checking out that movie beyond the mat. Um, yeah. He's in it a lot. I and think, also like a barely, barely legal. Yes. Or, which you were there for as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh wrestle Palooza or the early ECW pay-per-views that they were so creative. Yeah. The ones in Dayton, Ohio, what was the name of it? Heat Hayabusa. Wave. Yeah, Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzaki came in and worked with Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Yeah, didn't you mention one time they, they actually rode together to the show? <laughs> from Michigan. Of them, from Michigan. Oh, because they drove. <laughs> they didn't fly. Yeah. Wow. But... Uh, but those are, but the ECW was the only company that want to you know, bring in Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzaki as they are, and put them put them against Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Well, that's like a guarantee, very creative match, huh? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a dream match. Yeah, I think so. So Paul's always been like that because they're producing you know matches he want to watch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's so still a number one fan kind of thing. Very yeah, I feel like he's very connected, so. I think so, yeah. So if people have uh, questions or comments or anything like that, how can we reach you on online? On Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it for this week. Until next time. So long from Tokyo. Write that down, Fumi Saito.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.